listening to OT Uncorked, where we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. Today, I'm very happy to share more student research with you. Because of the coronavirus, many students did not have the opportunity to share their research or capstone projects with the OT community. So we wanted to give them a chance to share it with all of us now. Student research often explores emerging practice areas and other hot topics. So I'm really looking forward to uncorking these topics with you today. In this episode, I talked with Julie and Julia, two newly registered OTs. Their grad student research project is about improving health literacy through graphic novels. So we uncork the value of this medium and some considerations when designing or creating health information for your clients. Keep listening after the interview to find more about a new resource for new grad OTs and an announcement about a new collaboration that OT Uncorked is part of. You will not want to miss it. So Julie and Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for us. having us. So um, why don't you both go ahead and just introduce yourselves to the listeners? Uh, my name is Julie Thiel. I am a brand new occupational therapist um, who just graduated from Thomas Jefferson University in Philly. I'm from New Jersey, and you might see my Instagram, ot.reads, and that's who I am. <laughs> Uh, My name's Julia. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I went to undergrad down in South Carolina at the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, and I went to grad school up at Jefferson uh, with Julie, and I am a newly graduated OT. I just got my license in February, and I am looking to start work. Congratulations, guys. That's so exciting, and what a time to officially become OTs, right? What a time. (laughs) Really. (laughs) Definitely one we won't forget. (laughs) Absolutely. How has this time impacted your transition from student to clinician? So I think I I expected myself to be working at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was obviously a really big surprise to have this hiring freeze that a lot of companies have and everything. Uh, But it really forced me to pause and not just apply to 100 jobs and accept the first one I get and to really take some time to reflect and think about what sort of setting I would want to work in and um, what my strengths are and even giving me time to go back and study subjects where I would like to work in that setting but I feel like I didn't quite excel in that area in school Um, so it's been a a blessing and a curse you know It's a really good perspective, though, um, to take this time. And I, it's actually something I did a few episodes on um, last year was that idea of of entering the job force. And one of the biggest pieces of advice um, that my guests had was to take that time and really reflect on what you want out of a job, out of a setting. So it's great you have that time built in now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I would totally agree. Like, I've been using this time to pause. Um, so fun fact, I still don't have my actual state license yet mm-hmm. because um, in New Jersey, it usually takes a little longer anyway. And I've applied to both New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I still do not have each license, and we're about mm-hmm. a month out from when I applied. Um, so that's really – that was already impacting my job search. But now, like, I'm doing the same thing as Julia. I'm taking this time to pause, really look at what I need in a job, 
um I've looking into travel therapy too but that's like literally like once the school shut down they shut down um yeah yeah absolutely well thanks for sharing that I know that um you're not the only ones in that boat but it's definitely new um waters to navigate um so it's always good to be hearing other people's perspectives of, of other folks going through the same thing absolutely. um so today we're actually talking about some research that you did um, for your OT degree. Really interesting research. But before we dive into that, um, what are you guys drinking today as we chat? <laughs> um, well, I'm drinking, I know that it's typically wine, but I'm drinking, uh, <laughs> it's a low-cal IPA by Dogfish Head. It's called Slightly Mighty. It's my new favorite drink for the spring and summertime. All right. I love it. Hey, if we're going to be inside, you might as well yeah. find a really good summery, <laughs> springy beer, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We like beer here too. How about you, Julie? Um, I'm drinking, uh, it's from a local winery. It's a mm. Valenzano winery, Shemung Red. It's my favorite red wine. I, this is basically the only one I drink. Um. <laughs> so I am drinking a Shiraz from southeastern australia called the puppet master so at the end of the show we'll talk a little bit more about what we were drinking what we think of it um but for now let's get into the good stuff (laughs) um so you guys did your graduate research about health literacy and specifically you guys had a really interesting approach to improving health literacy um and for a population that i'm not really um familiar with so why don't you give us a little bit more background about what your research was about and kind of what inspired it well i would like to start off with this was actually the brainchild of our professor dr monique chabot she goes to morocco every summer um with one of the creators of or founders of ot morocco dr saeed nafai um i got to go with her was it two summers? Oh my God, it was two two summers ago. Um, and we got to visit two of these clinics in rural areas where the literacy rate is generally, uh, it's not very high um, and the school systems don't require schooling for kids with disabilities quite as much. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, she got this idea from. And because our school has a very strong arts and um, design, our school was founded at the design school. Um, we got to collaborate with um, graphic design students to create these books. Very good. It's um, our school. They have this thing called Nexus Learning, and it's you either love or hate it kind of thing. I personally love it, and it's uh, they really push that different uh, disciplines should work together and the benefit when you bring different disciplines together. So uh, we have classes where we'll work with industrial design, landscape design, but then this was an extra project that we took on to work with the graphic designers. Uh, and it was a really amazing experience because they ended up making these books um, to sort of spread messages in a non-verbal way uh, that would increase an understanding of health in Morocco. Yeah, so so much you just said there is so interesting. Uh, this idea, one, of working with other professionals outside of health. I think right now, especially that's hugely important because as we're kind of questioning um, with these job freezes and with just the changing dynamics, not just from, you know, the current coronavirus situation, but just healthcare in general, OTs and OTAs are really finding opportunities to work in other sectors um, and really branch out beyond traditional settings. So this experience you guys have with working um, with graphic designers and graphic novelists and translators even is huge um, professionally. So let's actually start out. Um, 
so you're working with graphic novels and health literacy in Morocco, right? So let's start out with kind of at the beginning of this. You said it's a longstanding relationship with some folks in Morocco, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what was kind of this this next step that made you guys realize that graphic novels might be the right um, approach to reaching um, this population? So again, I don't think we can truly take credit. <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> it's I think it's it's a lot of parts. Uh, definitely, we have the guidance of our professor who's gotten to go year after year. Um, Julie was one of the handful of students that actually went and got to work with the people in Morocco. Um, we learn a lot in school about doing needs assessments and, um, you know, in school we learn about the SWOT analysis and figuring out how to solve a problem. And it, that was, I think, the tricky part was figuring out what exactly the problem was and how to address it. Because, I mean, there are a functioning society with a lot of strengths. And Julie was explaining to me how strong the mothers are and how much they care about their children and um, trying to figure out where the disconnect was of what kind of information we could provide them to help them provide, to give better care to the kids was the biggest challenge. Well, I'll just add to that. Um, so uh, occupational therapy officially as a profession has only been in Morocco for about three years now. Mm. So um, Dr. Sayinified and his wife, Elizabeth Stevensified, they basically established OT in Morocco. Like, if you ever run them conference, amazing people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's my understanding that kids that do have a disability, there's not quite different uh, diagnoses or an understanding of disability in general. It's more of uh, just sort of accepted that that's how they were born and almost everything is lumped into being considered CP uh, Mm. when it's not. Some kids have Down syndrome, some have autism. A lot of kids have arthrogryposis. It sounds like they really are trying to provide supports for the children in their community that maybe don't have all of the medical background um, or understanding to provide the right supports. Correct. Or or they, they um, and again, I personally didn't go to Morocco, but how Julie explained it and some of the other students, it seems they want to do everything for their children because they really care about them and they want to, they carry them around. And I don't think they realize with the right supports that they could actually act more individually or um, independently. They could independently contribute to the family. Mm. Yes, and another issue, um, all like medical equipment like has come from out of the country and generally through donations and um, things like, like our ADA for environmental modifications um, doesn't exist um, in Morocco. So you kind of see like a ramp like where it could fit and sometimes it's like a 45 degree angle and like so we're working around that too um I got to watch some guys uh have a kid in the power eyes wheelchair and they literally just ran him across the sand on the beach because <laughs> they're just trying to get him over the ramp right so there's definitely some physical barriers um some educational mm-hmm. barriers potentially um and mm-hmm. you kind of this overall sense of wanting to do something feeling like they have the right approach but maybe there's some more that that you could um, help them understand or share some knowledge between each other um, to really improve maybe the lives of these children. So so kind of what was the goal of this specific project with the graphic novels? What specific barriers were you trying to um, fill? So what we were what we were just describing was sort of understanding the need in Morocco. Mm-hmm. 
And then the big challenge was figuring out how to meet that need. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two main clinics, health clinics that children with disabilities can go to, uh, but they're they're pretty far away and it's challenging for mothers to, who are sometimes carrying their children to the clinics um, to get there frequently. So one, you have a distance barrier and then you say, oh, well, we would just make brochures and hand them out or give them little pamphlets to read, but then there's that lower literacy rate and then that makes a second barrier of transportable goods that can be understood. And I would say there was, in the end, there was two main goals of our, of the book. So one was uh, several of the books um, had a message of inclusion and in, including these kids in regular everyday activities with their siblings, with friends. And the second one was basically adapting and home exercise programs. So like, how do we adapt the environment for like feeding? There was a couple like kind of like DIY guides in there. And then there was, I believe, two home exercise programs. So you had this realization that maybe a brochure or a way that we might advertise health information in our own communities might not work um, for this particular community. Why graphic novels as opposed to other media? And what was that experience like of developing that? Because that's not something we have experience with in OT school typically. So the main purpose for using graphic novels over say like a brochure, a poster is the fact that it can tell a story through the use of just pictures or with minimal words to like, in the concept of like universal design, touch as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Very good. And so when you guys all came to this conclusion or your mentor also seems like this has been a project that's been in the works for a while. When you all started to talk about how you were going to put this together, um, what was the experience of sharing your goals and the health information with some of the other professionals in the project, including the graphic design and graphic novelists? I think that was one of the most surprising things was, uh, and I say this with the utmost respect, but like just understanding how much health information we take for granted that we just think is common knowledge. I mean, a lot of times you go to undergrad that's all health based and then you go to a couple years of grad school and you're just taking in so much health information and you just think that oh everybody knows that and um so that was really interesting figuring out what they already knew because you don't want to patronize them and talk down and say and by the way a person with autism gets overstimulated but at the same time they might not know that and so it was really interesting finding that balance of providing the information while still like respecting their existing knowledge. So um, in this experience with working with the graphic designers, you mentioned some of the sort of just shared knowledge or unique knowledge that was kind of specialized and trying to navigate what that looks like to um, talk with someone with a different professional background. But then also um, you mentioned some of this like cultural knowledge. So can you give us some examples of uh, considerations you had to take into account um, when talking with the graphic designers about the requirements for the book. Yes. So one of the things was uh, to make sure that everyone in the photos like was like modestly covered. Um, Just making sure like no one's wearing shorts, just making sure that like it would still fit within the culture, still fit within Moroccan culture and not look like it was just a book we just took from, from New Jersey or from America. I meant to say America. (laughs) (laughs) Another interesting thing was, um, that the books are actually bound, our books are bound to the left here, their books are all bound to the right. So we actually had one case where 
their book was backwards. And so it all had to be flipped at the very end last minute. Uh, so that was interesting. Yeah. Um, those sound like interesting considerations that are just different that we would um, maybe take into account when creating materials for our own patients here, um, but definitely a good learning experience. And when you were exchanging information with them, you, you talked about having to kind of figure out ways to share health information. Was there anything about the design process that took you guys by surprise as, as people who are maybe have more of a medical background? So we actually had a very interesting experience when we got the first um, stack of books. So it was us and our other partner, at least uh, Goodman, um, when we got the first stack. And it was kind of a beautiful experience because, well, we couldn't read it either. So we were relying solely on the pictures. And uh, Julia, did you want to tell them about that experience? Sure. Uh, so the point is for people who can't read to still be able to get the message um, through the images. And it really felt like we were the mothers reading these books and trying to get a story from it. And some of them were fantastic. And I was blown away at the talent and all the images were great. Like it's better than I Gorgeous. could have ever came up with. Right. They were awesome. Uh, but some of them, you uh, you would go, you would flip through the pages and you would get to a part that was really confusing. And so it was nice that we weren't part of the actual design of the images part, because then we were sort of that first group of people that had to see if they could get the message without the words. That's, that's a really cool experience, especially um, considering just that language bias that, you know, we not only if a material is in English, you know, perhaps we would obviously have a, a, an easier time understanding it, but also with the level of health knowledge required to read a lot of health resources. So it, it was kind of cool, I guess, that you guys got to be in that position of not even being able to read the language, must let, much less understand the kind of vocabulary they were using just because it was not in your language, but really having to use um, the, you, that universal language of pictures. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you feel like this experience taught you guys about sort of just cultural awareness um, and how did you grow through this? Well, for me personally, just from start to end, from going to Morocco to completing the project, it was actually my first time leaving the country. Um, so that alone, cultural shock and why. And I love the whole experience. I learned a lot about how like personally, just like how I present like in the world and and then going through this project, learning how, like, at the end of the day, communication is, like, one, like, the end-all be-all of tools. Mm -hmm. Like, no matter what profession you're in, no matter who you're working with, like, the chain of communication is the most important part, whether it's cross-cultural yeah. or otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, my the sort of theme I picked from this whole process was communication and really just figuring out where any sort of disconnect would be, whether it's figuring out the disconnect between the health information and people in Morocco or the disconnect between us and the graphic novel students. And you see um, throughout the project, just different levels of understanding of different types of information. And it's what I really gained from it is understanding that the health knowledge makes no one person better than the other, because then that next person has a whole other set of strengths, like the graphic novel students and their ability to portray these messages with just images and the mothers in Morocco and their ability to be able to provide for their children with very limited resources. And I think it really highlights how everyone has different strengths. 
Well, those are really good lessons for the rest of your lives. So um, yeah, good to be learning them now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can all take a note of that for sure. So then you went through this design process, collaborating with translators and with um, graphic design students and faculty, um, a really awesome interprofessional experience. And then that next stage was implementation. Yes. What did that look like? You know, who implemented it and what role did you guys play? So we played a really large role in all of the planning of how we would get these two libraries into the two clinics, the two libraries of books, and um, figuring out the budgeting aspect and figuring out uh, who was going to train the clinic staff on how to use the library. And not only that, but figuring out how to how to acknowledge if it's even working or if they're even being used. And that was a, a really big, awesome learning opportunity because it really gave us the skills, I think, if we ever wanted to open our own business or if you ever wanted to make your own assessment uh, to learn how to keep the process going and evaluate if it's working. So we did all of that planning process and then we actually trained um, the next year of OT students who are going to Morocco on how they can carry the project on from here. Yes, and they brought over two stacks of two libraries. So what were some of the ideas that you had about kind of the, the metrics of seeing how much these books are being used and whether they're being used effectively? Because I think you do bring up a really good point. We can... Um, Sometimes I think have a really good intentions, maybe even awesome product or idea. We can implement it and we're done and we walk away and we just hope it was good. But you bring up really good points that um, especially when working with people from other cultures and you're not having that face-to-face time immediately, what are some of the ways that you are are going to be measuring uh, the book's effectiveness? So one of the ways was that we within each library there would be a sign out sheet so they could just check off like so they would see like which books they're using the most of and I believe so the way these clinics are run they're run mostly by volunteers usually the mothers of these children who are there so like they can talk they could also just I believe we also included a way for them to communicate being like we like these types of books like the home exercise books give us more of these so I believe this project has been carried on to the third year now of OT students doing it (laughs) to figure out if we need, because in the time of our project, I think we made seven, six or seven different books touching a variety of topics, but then they can say, well, we really liked the, like you said, the DIY books. So then the next set of OT students could work to make more types of DIY books, or we really like the inclusion books. um, So we can make more of those types. Mm So this is a really an ongoing relationship with them that's going to be iterative over many years then. Yes, yes. hopefully. <laughs> and hopefully this year they'll still be able to go. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. So what do you see as the value of this partnership you have with the folks in Morocco and then the organization um, that you mentioned called Global Impacts? Uh, what, what is the value of this ongoing relationship and um, kind of where do you see it going in the future? I think I think one big benefit of like an ongoing relationship is we're not just plopping ourselves in Morocco one time and saying we think you need this and forcing ourselves on them. I really hope with what we sort of started here, we'll make an ongoing process where we can alter what we're doing based on their needs. 
And um, although it's different OT students going every year, we have a couple of the same faculty um, that are helping this process and they're sort of seeing the changes that are being made with each year. And uh, our school is also not the only school who's part of this. There are several other schools who go over. I believe through, I want to say Boston University, students do their level twos at these clinics as well. Like they can have the option. It was actually one, my level one was at these clinics. Okay, very cool. How do you feel like, Julie, your experience having gone there in a previous year uh, influenced your role in the group process um, developing these materials? So I definitely played more of a role in... Swabot, like the strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, that assessment, and like basically building up our research. So that's where I think my biggest strength was, um, was just making sure we had all the right information. But then like, I was also worried because I'm like, well, this is only based on my experience. <laughs> so uh, we were fact checking. Julie, I, I also, I also think that you offered, Julie was like our great person that was in charge of all of the cultural sensitivity. She was amazing and she was also the person I could talk to to say does this sound like it's very like respectful of the culture like does it sound like we you know see them as competent people and that we're not talking down to them just because they don't have this bit of information and she always seems to be the best at that I think (laughs) a good sounding board I think that's also really important too just to have other people to kind of bounce the ideas off of. Um, so we do the most good and the least harm. Absolutely. And I think that's also just a value of a group of a group project, right? Of having not just multiple OT students and faculty together, but working with people from other departments and um, working with the folks who are actually in Morocco um, and that whole group experience. I feel like that adds just a lot of value to what you guys are talking about. Yeah. It builds on the brain power. (laughs) (laughs) So, this experience, um, you did a lot, right? You had to do the SWOT analysis and really um, dive deep into what the needs of this community might be. You had to plan a pretty complex, large-scale community intervention, work with other people. I mean, this is this is everything, right? You, you guys have done it all, um, implemented this program, and that's an ongoing process. What do you see as this project's kind of role in your professional development and how do you see this really influencing your practice as you are now OTs entering the workforce? I think this definitely, um, so health literacy is just something very near and dear to my heart. I love talking about it. So basically just learning new ways to approach, making sure we are giving people the information they need, whether that's based on their literacy rate, if they speak a different language, um, age, developmental age just learning new ways to communicate that information. I agree. Um, obviously, in general, skill-wise, I learned a lot about myself and how what kind of a communicator I am. But I think the biggest thing I got from this project was a new way to spread, spread health literacy. And uh, graphic novels aren't just for people who have a low literacy level. Um, the whole concept of teaching health information through graphic novels was actually started at a med school. Um, it was just like a new way for the doctoral students to learn information. And um, I just think that it's a more interesting way to learn information and it's a little less intimidating. Uh, I am really interested in working uh, with people with chemical dependence. And 
I could totally see this being uh, a method to spread just public health information online. Um, if like you see right now on Facebook, people only read a post if it has a picture at the end or whatever. <laughs> um, the mm-hmm. same sort of concept. I think that we could just really reach a lot of people, even with COVID-19 kind of information, uh, anything. It's just, I guess, a better, a, a more, it's just a better way. Yeah. It's more accessible too. More, yeah, more accessible. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned um, with the COVID-19 situation, I have noticed a lot more informational cartoons and I feel like even mm-hmm. the CDC has had some really good graphics um, that even if you couldn't read or if your health literacy was low or you were really just scrolling through Facebook, um, there's still valuable information that comes through in the pictures. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting Absolutely. method of, of sharing information that maybe we don't jump to as the first option. Um, but from what you're saying, it has a lot of potential. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times it's looked at as elementary if it has photos or something that's really simple. But you I I mean we've proven just in this project that you can really get across some complex topics using images and then if you can add some words in on top of that, that's even better. Is there anything else about this project that um just stood out to you as um, something that you just are going to hold so like close to you as you move forward that you just want other people to hear that we haven't talked about yet today? I know that the people listening can't see the novels we made, but there's one novel that's always going to stay in my heart forever. Um, yes. And I just have to talk about it. I just want to describe it really quick. Um, it's, it's called The Shrew, which if you don't know what a shrew looks like, I thought it was like this little mini elephant looking creature it was adorable Uh, whatever it was (laughs) it was really cute it was like it was like an elephant but he's the size of a mouse it's adorable anyway so the shrew um there's a family of shrews and there's one little shrew that clearly has a disability of some sort they make it evident in the photo with a broken leg or something and they're all trying to climb on each other's backs to get up to the top of a tree to get an orange and the little shrew with a disability is sitting on the side and watching and he can't participate because of his disability. Um, and then he turned the pages and the little shrew that's sitting watching turns to his side and he sees an orange bush. And he notices that you can get oranges a different way instead of climbing up on the tree. And what I really love about that novel is it shares, even if the shrew can't participate in the way that everybody else is, they still have a very important role. And even if it's unique, it can get to the same outcome, if not a better one. Um, And I don't know how the graphic uh, novel designers came up with that, but it is the best representation of inclusion that I've seen yet as an Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. So uh, yeah, hearing this message that, there's other ways to provide health information. And even though some of these sort of drawing-based approaches might seem childish, you guys have shown that um, these mothers are hopefully really benefiting from having access to health information in a way that just wasn't possible before. And so I think this opens up a lot of doors, even here in the U.S. And as we go into our own practice of how we're giving people information and how they're understanding and receiving that information too. No, in the future, like if possible, I would love to like start up this project again, like 
to help communities here. And honestly, like most of these books, like you could easily just like translate it and the same topic would apply, which is why I loved about them so much. <laughs> so Julie and Julia, um, this has been a really interesting perspective on sharing health information and learning how to connect with other professionals. I feel like you guys got so much value out of your experience uh, of conducting this program. Um, any final thoughts about it? So I definitely want to say thank you again to our, um, well, first of all, our other partner, Elise Goodman, who's also a brand new OT, um, our advisor, uh, Dr. Monique Chabot, and then also Dr. Sayed Nafai as well, because he um, offered even more information um, after the trip to really help us on this project. So aside from this research, um, I know you both recently graduated in December 2019. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And (laughs) now you're working through that reflective process of figuring out what's going to be next for you uh, once the world kind of calms down a little bit. Um, What else has you guys really excited right now? Well, right now, um, since we're in like this time of, I've been calling it a great pause. And I've been working out like continu- like constantly mm-hmm. every day, which is like I never did before this. So, same. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just kind of like rediscovering old hobbies. Mm. And I've also just been like what Julia said earlier, um, just making sure I'm like up to date on the new research, so I'm like ready to go and essentially any. That's what I love about OT. We can be anywhere, so I can be ready to go in like any setting that that needs me. <laughs> That's awesome. How about you, Julia? Um, so I am working part time right now as a nanny, and I've gained the new skill of working with a newborn, which I thought was absolutely terrifying before. <laughs> uh, and that is exciting because I always was interested in working in early intervention just to work with the mom, but I always shied away from it because. I was terrified of working with tiny little (laughs) infant babies. So um, getting confidence with that population is kind of opening a whole new door for me. I'm excited to see where that might take me. I love that. I love how you guys are using this time for good and for personal growth um, while you have the chance. That's, That's awesome. So I there's a couple questions I ask everybody who comes on the show. First of all, do we have any book or other resource recommendations that you'd want to share? And I know that, Julie, you have particular interest in this. So tell us more about that. (laughs) So I made several lists to share with you. Um, Because I hate when people ask me, like, what's your favorite books? I just give me a genre, like, please. (laughs) And even then, like, I need more specific, more specific question. But um, I did make a couple lists. So two, like, one my... Me and Julia are both really into mental health, mental health advocacy. Um, so one of my number one things is always everyone should read The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, I cannot talk today. Um, by Bessel van der, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, it's an amazing book. It's based off of research with, um, with uh, soldiers with PTSD. I think it applies to any setting, no matter where you are. I actually just posted it again on my Instagram because everyone should read it. <laughs> It sounds great. It sounds uh, right up an OT alley, so it's good. Absolutely. Um, and going off of that, there's also The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability by Miriam Kaufman, Corey Silverberg, and Fran Odette. I love this, especially if, like, talking about sexual activity, which is an, an ADL, if it's just not in your wheelhouse, if it's something you're comfortable with, this book kind of gives you the resources for it. 
but there is a disclaimer with this as well. Because the book was written in 2003, I would say the terms for the LGBTQIA uh, community are not totally up to date in chapter 25, 15, chapter 15. Um, so just make sure you're looking at other resources for that as well. Like, um, like Dev, the Rainbow Tea, they have wonderful resources on their Instagram. Love Dev. Um, Dev was on the show already too. Oh yeah. yeah. Love them. So those are some really good recommendations. Did you have another one? Okay, one more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew I could tell you had another one. <laughs> it's uh, You're Not Listening, uh, What You're Missing, Missing and Why It Matters by Kate Murphy. Um, it just came out recently, and I actually really want to read it again, even though I just read it very recently. Um, but basically it's about, are you actually listening to what people are saying? <laughs> and like, as therapists, we need to be doing that. So it was just like a very good, like, kind of like self-help book. I wouldn't call it a self-help book, but like... Like a reflective book? Reflective, yeah. I like that. Yeah, oh, those are good ones. I love those. When you have to kind of think on it for a little while and you can't read too much of it at once, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of process. Absolutely. All right, well, that is quite a list, Julia. Any, any you want to add, Julia? Um. Well, I try to save my time because I know OT reads like Julia's baby and I knew that she would have a lot to contribute. Um, so I, I wanted to give her my time on that one. <laughs> awesome. And just to mention that, because we keep saying OT Reads, that is Julie's Instagram account. And tell us a little bit more, Julie, about um, kind of what you do on OT Reads and why someone might want to follow you. I really like books and I wanted to share that. That's honestly what it really comes down to. <laughs> um, sometimes I really try to force like an OT connection in there. Um and that's why a lot of books don't make the cut because look in the time of weirdness that we are right now, I'm just reading a lot of young adult rom-com mm-hmm. trash because that's really all I can comprehend. And yeah. Hey, whatever helps you cope, right? Right. Reading is still good. Yeah. Well, thank mm-hmm. you for those recommendations. I'm going to check those out. Okay. So before we wrap up, I, at the beginning, we kind of mentioned what we were drinking and I'd love to hear your reflections. I know you two picked some, some of your favorites, um, but tell me what you like about them. I like the um, slightly mighty Lukau IPA once again because um, I am I'm a little bit health conscious and it's the first light beer that I think actually has a glow flavor and the can's super cute and I like saying that I'm slightly mighty I think that's a cute little name so <laughs> <laughs> as cheesy as that is but yeah yeah it's, I love it. <laughs> I'm drinking um again a Shimung Red from Balanzana Winery which is very I can literally like walk no not walk there drive there um. <laughs> if I wanted to so it's local it's cheap and it tastes it's essentially just tastes tastes like grape juice which is what I really love about it (laughs) okay so I am drinking the puppet master and it's like I said it's um 2018 it's actually um a Shiraz and Cabernet Sauvignon blend which I had never tried before. So this was new for me. Now, because of this quarantining, I didn't have a chance to go out and pick out a bottle just for this episode. I like to try to make them kind of themed. Um, But it was perfect because I had this one already on tap. And um, the reason why I originally got this when I picked it out a couple months ago was really actually the graphics on it. 
Um, oh. So it actually has a puppeteer on it. There's oh, a lot of really so interesting fonts. It's pretty engaging. And that's actually what drew my attention to it. So um, before we even had this episode planned, I was attracted to the sort of graphics of it. And that's why I picked it up. So I thought it was very appropriate for this episode <laughs> as we talk about um, sharing information visually. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really worked out. So it's by Sideshow. It seems like a really fun brand. Instead of having a year, you know, they all have a year when the um, winery was established, they say, since wine began. Um, oh. So they just seem really fun and goofy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, it was a blend I had never tried before. For people who like reds, um, it's it's definitely a little different than what I typically drink. It's kind of on the more dry side, which um, which I tend to like. Very bold. I think kind of what made this a little different was that it was pretty tart. So there's definitely fruity flavors, but um, it's not particularly smooth. And then there's these kind of like tart flavors on the end of it, on the finish. So I think it's definitely a good thing to try. I don't think this is going to be one of my go-tos, um, oh. but it was kind of fun and whimsical, a little different than what I typically drink. So all in all, still a success. Cool. <laughs> we'll have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. How can people contact you if they have any questions or follow up or want to know more about your research? Well, you can always find me on Instagram at ot.reads. Um, I'll probably actually probably be linking the poster this was all based on to my Instagram um, so if you really want to find out more, um, and from there you can just message me. <laughs> um, and me and me and Julie are in pretty close contact. We talk all the time. If you message her through Instagram, I will I will be involved also. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both so much for being on the show and sharing your graduate research project with us. I think it's especially important for us to continue to grow as OTs in our ability to collaborate, not only with people that we work with or even these um, folks in Morocco that you worked with, but also just even collaborating with other professionals. So I think you brought a lot of value. So thank you. Thanks for thank having us. Yes. Yeah. We were so excited about this project. And even though we didn't necessarily get to talk about it at conference this year, it was so nice that we had some kind of an audience to hear what we did. <laughs> Julie and Julia are full of energy for the profession and are excited to begin their careers as OTs. Unfortunately, the coronavirus has caused hiring freezes and new grads are having trouble finding jobs within our profession. And even students who are planning on going on field work aren't able to participate in that learning opportunity right now. In the meantime, they are eager to maintain the skills they developed in school. So Julie and Julia saw the need for themselves and others and created the brand new OT Virtual Skills Lab, a Facebook group for new grads and OT students to keep their critical reasoning skills sharp while applying for jobs or waiting for fieldwork to begin. It's a great opportunity to talk about real life, clinical experiences, and brush up on skills. You can find them by searching OT Virtual Skills Lab on Facebook and join the group. Another exciting announcement is a collaboration between myself, Julie, who runs the OT Reads Instagram, and Becky BOT. We are getting together to create a monthly OT virtual book club. So if you're interested in joining, reach out to us or follow the OT Book Club on Instagram and keep an eye out for updates about the book club and on opportunities to cast your vote for the first book that we read. We cannot wait to connect with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of OT Uncorked. 
please consider reviewing OTN Corked on your favorite podcast player and following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at OTN Corked or on our website, otuncorked.com. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.